It's constantly learning and it's constantly changing because just when you think you have it figured out, the disease gets worse and you need a whole new technique. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. I also lead a caregiver support group in my local community. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Speaking of best medicines, right? (laughs) (laughs) You got that right. (sighs) So we've mentioned in the past about my dad's diagnosis when we got his medical records. Uh, It mentioned Lewy body dementia. And we were both shocked at that and really didn't know what it was. And we had to go do some research as to what that was. Well, I was somewhat aware of it. I had heard the term before, uh, but we were dealing with so many comorbidities at the time that um, we didn't, I didn't go into it any further. But having seen that in his medical records, it began to make sense because one of the things that I had learned about Lewy body was sometimes the medications that were given to people Uh, with Alzheimer's disease, it had a very different effect on people with Lewy body. And it was almost guaranteed that whatever medication that he was given with the side effects we were told to expect would do the absolute opposite when it came to him. Um, And then we had the component of Parkinson's with with the dementia as well. And, you know, since learned that that's, that's very much a part of Lewy body. And that brings us to today's guest. She's the Director of Clinical Research Headquarters for Lewy Body Dementia at the University of Florida Norman Fixell Institute for Neurological Diseases. Her clinical work and research focus on improving care for persons with Lewy Body Dementia and their families, including increasing Lewy Body Dementia recognition, identifying individual priorities for care, and improving end-of-life experiences. We are very pleased to welcome Dr. Melissa Armstrong. Thank you Dr. So Armstrong, much. welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, we are so glad to have you here. And um, even though Lewy body dementia is becoming more well-known, it's still very much misunderstood, often uh, misdiagnosed. Um, so we are very glad to hear, have you here today to talk about Lewy body, the, the support that you're offering to caregivers. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you also did research on Parkinson's prior to the Lewy body research or in addition to or together? Well, they really do go together. When we think about the diagnosis Lewy body dementia, that really includes two different diseases. And there's a lot of confusion about this. So under that umbrella of Lewy body dementia, it includes the disease dementia with Lewy bodies, And it also includes Parkinson's disease that has progressed to also affect memory and thinking. And so that's Parkinson's disease dementia. And the difference is that in Parkinson's disease, most people will start with the physical problems, the stiffness, the slowness, often tremor, but not always tremor, walking problems. And then over time, they develop the memory and thinking problems and other symptoms as well. 
But in Parkinson's disease, the memory and thinking is later. In dementia with Lewy bodies, the memory and thinking problems are there right up front, often with fluctuations, visual hallucinations, and the par Parkinson's symptoms can either be there right away, or they could come later, or maybe they won't come at all. In our case, they definitely came later. Yeah. So there, there's a really tight link between the different parts of Lewy body dementia. And in fact, some specialists will argue, well, it's all just a form of Parkinson's. Uh, when we look at the brain in Parkinson's and dementia with Lewy bodies, the symptoms or the, the findings in the brain are very similar. I tend to be a splitter myself. I like keeping those two things separate. And the reason I keep them separate is because the experience of people living with the disease and with caregivers can be very different if someone starts with Parkinson's and has movement problems for years and the thinking problems are later versus dementia with Lewy bodies where those thinking problems are right up front and the hallucinations can be right up front. And those are really driving a lot of the issues at home as opposed to those physical symptoms. Now, when you say the thinking problems with the Lewy body and we think of Alzheimer's and the memory problems, is there a difference of the thinking problems of Lewy body and memory problems of um, Alzheimer's or are they similar or compare, contrast, discuss? <laughs> <laughs> well, you picked up on something I am very careful to do. So when I talk about dementia, maybe we should start with that. Most of your listeners will know this, but just so we're all on the same page, dementia is the medical term that says someone has had a change in their memory and thinking. It's worse than it used to be, and it's severe enough that it is affecting day-to-day -day life. And there are many different dementias. So Alzheimer's disease dementia is the most common, and then when we think of degenerative kinds of dementia that get worse over time, Lewy body dementia is the second most common. And the reason that I use that term that you called out memory and thinking is because the kind of problems that people have in Alzheimer's disease and Lewy body dementia are often different. In Alzheimer's disease, the problem is really most often about memory. They have trouble making new memories, remembering especially recent things, but in Lewy body dementia, memory often isn't the biggest issue. They have a lot of trouble paying attention to things and focusing. Uh, they have trouble with multitasking, with complicated decision-making, with visual spatial reasoning. So understanding where something is in space that's can affect driving, for example. And memory can be affected, but it often looks a little bit different in Lewy body than in Alzheimer's. And it often happens later rather than right up front. You know, it's interesting when you talked about having trouble with multitasking. One of the things that, that dad insisted on doing <clears throat> was emptying the dishwasher each morning. And it was fascinating to watch him because he would go over, he would pick up one plate, turn, walk very deliberately to the cupboard, put that one plate in place, very deliberately walk back. Um, it took him a good bit of time to actually do that, but he, you know, he saw that as something that he wanted to do. But you, know, you didn't see any kind of 
trying to do, you know, pick up a plate and some silverware at the same time. It was always very deliberate, one motion, one item at a time. Yeah, he didn't stack the plates and then take the stack over. <laughs> it was absolutely one at a time. It was amazing. Well, and this kind of realization of this as one of the issues has real implications for caregivers and families. So one of the things I say, especially in the context of mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia, where the person living with dementia is still really involved in conversations and decisions that needs help, is that when you are going to have an important conversation with your loved one and a person with Parkinson or some form of Lewy body, you want to get rid of every distraction. No phones, no TV, no radio, because concentration and attention is the real issue. So if you need to talk about something big, a major decision, moving, something like that, you want to make sure that you're giving your both of you the best chance possible. So quiet room, no distractions on, eye contact, sitting to talk about that specific thing, that is going to make you a lot more likely to be successful than if you're having a conversation as your phone rings and the TV is playing in the background. Uh, someone with dementia with Lewy bodies or Parkinson disease just isn't going to be able to do that well. That's interesting. That's one of the things that I call up, call Mike out on a number of occasions. When I'm talking to him, I don't want him to all of a sudden jump up and turn the TV down or um, fix a curtain or something like that. You know, he'll say, I can hear you, but it's important to me to have that focus, that eye contact. Um, it seems really natural for him to do that, those multiple things while uh, it's one of the things that we've discussed over the many years we've been married. <laughs> so what's that say here now that we're having this discussion? <laughs> Just wonder. <laughs> well, multitasking is a bit of a myth for all of us. We don't really multitask. We just quickly kind of shift between two things, but that shifting becomes really hard for people with dementia. So we might be able to manage it to varying degrees of success, but people with dementia probably can't manage it at all. And so we need to find strategies to help them optimize what they are able to do. Well, we know that, that Roger was very focused at whatever it was. Um, there were times when he would uh, sit down and he would want to talk about his life in, in, in Italy. And I would listen to it um, because it was rare and I enjoyed it. Um, but he could be mid-sentence and all of a sudden he decided that was done and he would just get up and walk up to his room and close the door. He, 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 he was done. He said his piece and that was enough. Well, I think that points out too, you know, everyone, we talk about, you know, diseases, but everyone living with whatever disease it is, is going to be very different. And so people are going to come to the these diseases with different backgrounds, different personalities, and then within any given disease, and Lewy body dementia is certainly true for this, you're going to have some symptoms and not have other symptoms. You'll have some strengths and some weaknesses, and those, that individual aspect of the disease is going to interact with individual people and histories and personalities, and so it really does look different in everyone. You know, it's, it's interesting that you should say that because um, you know, putting dementia in the umbrella, right? 
And I've seen it said many times. If you've seen one person with dementia, you've done exactly that. You've seen one person with dementia and no two are alike and no two days are alike. What worked yesterday as Bobby says many times, what worked yesterday isn't necessarily going to work today or tomorrow. I called it uh, creative problem solving on the run <laughs> because you never know from minute to minute what's going to happen. But it also has really important implications for how you work with your medical team. So your medical team needs to know how you experience the disease. So what symptoms are bothering you? What symptoms are your, affecting your quality of life? But then your team also needs to know about you as a person, both as a patient and the caregiver, what your goals are, because those goals, those values are going to be different from person to person, like the disease is different from person to person. And so I try to really get to know the people that I partner with, both patients and caregivers, to figure out not just about their disease, but about what's important to them, because that will guide a lot of the decisions that are made. Now, in um, looking and doing a little bit of research, for this. You've talked in the past and maybe even written in the past about the shared decision-making and that it's very, very important. And I would agree with that. Now, what about getting over the hump if somebody is um, impaired, that they can't share in the decision-making? Then how, do you, how does one bridge that gap? So that's a great question. There is increasing emphasis in healthcare in general about the importance of shared decision-making. And so when we think of shared decision-making, that is talking about a partnership between people living with diseases and their healthcare team that takes into account individual values, someone's disease, and then the pros and cons of different decisions to make the best decision for that person in that scenario. And in shared decision-making, it's not the patient making the decision on their own, and it's certainly not the physician making the decision on their own, but it really is focused on this partnership, feeling that physicians and other healthcare professionals do have expertise that can really help inform a decision, but any given person is gonna have their own values that are critical to contribute to a decision. And so it's this partnership where you take both sides and then you make the decision together using that expertise of both people. And then in cognitive impairment, you bring in that third person, uh, the caregiver, or even let's be honest, when we seek our own health care, we might want to bring a third person in, even if we're not having memory or thinking problems. I you definitely know, I, like to do that with Mike because- exactly. um, <laughs> I, I'm a great one for asking multiple questions to make sure that I understand. And he used to go in by himself and he'd come home and I'd say, well, what happened? And what did the doctor say? And did you ask any questions? And um, he hadn't. So again, that, we're, we're about as different as two people can be. <laughs> Talk about opposites. Now in dealing with his dad, because he, he had multiple comorbidities. In addition to the Parkinson's and, and the dementia, he was a schizophrenic for all of his adult life. He had COPD. Um, he had what I called um, stubborn old stubborn. Italian disease, um, <laughs> congestive heart failure. So we were seeing multiple doctors. I ended up calling 
a meeting with the nursing staff, his primary care doctor, his psychiatrist, his cardiologist, all of them together. So we could understand that it wasn't enough just to look at his medical records in one aspect because the whole thing created a really complicated picture. And I was fortunate enough to be assigned a nurse that through the telehealth system that together we monitor him daily. Um, not a lot of people have that, uh, but it definitely helped in that whole team effort, helped him, helped us keep him living a lot longer than he probably would have otherwise. And I think that speaks to the fact that it's often not a decision with a single healthcare provider, but a healthcare team, which can include nurses, physicians from different backgrounds, social workers, that healthcare team can be diverse. But getting back to Mike's question about, well, how does that change when someone has memory and thinking problems? Uh, there, there isn't great research on that because that's hard. It's a hard topic and it's hard to figure out. So I can tell you what we know or what we try. So in people with mild cognitive impairment where the memory and thinking aren't quite what they used to be, but they're still independent, then the goal of shared decision-making is still to let them make their decisions with assistance from their team and their family, um, but to give them more support in doing so. So maybe decisions won't be as easy, but they can still make them. And so maybe we need to give them more written support. Here's some handouts about what we just talked about, giving them time you know, so that they can really think through it and talk about it with their loved one. And people with dementia, and, and dementia is a range, right? There's mild, there's moderate to severe. So there's also different levels of being able to participate in decision-making across dementia. I try to do a combination. So I try never to disenfranchise the person living with dementia. I make sure at my appointments that I talk to them. I often start by asking them what they want to tell me. Uh, even if their caregiver is going to give me most of the history, I want to make sure that they can participate in the um, visit to the extent that they can. And then I try to talk through any decisions in simple terms so that they can participate to the degree that's possible. But often, especially in moderate to advanced stages of dementia, it's really the caregiver who's doing most of the decision making hopefully largely thinking about what would my loved one want? Not as much, we, we ask caregivers to think not just what they think, but what would the person with dementia say if they could tell me what they wanted? I think we need to clone you. <laughs> <laughs> your, your approach is, is, I think what all of us, you know, caring for somebody with one of these terrible diseases would like to see. I can guarantee you, if you asked my father-in-law you know, about what he thought he'd say, she worries too much. I'm fine. <laughs> she, he would, that's a direct quote and probably <laughs> spot on quote. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, she worries too much. I'm fine. Uh, when he was in a hospital, you go take care of the sick people. I'm okay. Oh, I can take care of myself. So having that conversation with him would be a true with very little, if any fruit, <laughs> he was absolutely spot on with hiding symptoms, no matter what they were. Um, he slipped and fell in the bathroom. He had uh, cracked ribbed. He insisted there was no pain. Um, he might have a severe sore throat and it didn't hurt. 
watching him walk into the hospital for a doctor's appointment, you could see him immediately sit, stand up straight, <laughs> push that walker to the side and transform into what he wanted someone to see him as rather as to what he actually had to live with. And it was exhausting for him. So by the time we got back in the car, he was ready for a meltdown. So this is another thing we commonly see in people living with dementia that is really important for the caregiver to know is that we don't know exactly how it happens, but people with living with dementia can really kind of rally themselves for short periods of time. Um, and I don't think it's totally conscious. It's just something that we're able to do. Like we're able to kind of overcome it for a short period of time, whether that is a couple hour doctor visit or a couple day family visit. Mm -hmm. But then usually after that, you they will pay for it and then the the close caregiver will pay for it too oh yeah oh, oh yeah. that was so much <laughs> it's so hard on families this can happen with uh family visits so you know the caregiving spouse this is often a scenario for the caregiving spouse you know they're at home they're it's so hard day to day it's such a trial the kids come in for christmas the person with dementia perks up and they're like, mom, like dad looks great. What are you talking mm. about? Right. He looks great for those two days. The kids go home and bam, you know, uh, it, it's terrible as they kind of, it's the letdown afterwards. This is something we see. We don't know exactly how the brain does it, but it absolutely happens. So very relevant for the holidays coming up, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, the person with dementia can look really good for a couple days, but then usually afterwards, it's horrible for a couple days. And it helps to have other family members understand that. I'm so glad that you're talking about that because very often, you know, I'm on a lot of caregiver uh, Facebook pages and Twitter and all of that. And so often caregivers who really don't understand what it's like, and mo that's most people when they take this on originally, get very confused by this and sometimes question whether or not the person is faking or yes. trying to make it look worse than it actually is, or that the caregiver is exaggerating, which leads to problems within the family. Yeah. It's completely unconscious, uh, I think, on the patient's part. It's something we can just all inherently do, uh, you know, put on a good show for a short amount of time. Um, and kind of hide some of the things, but it does cause a real problem with families. I did once, um, this was a real issue in one family I took care of, someone with Parkinson disease dementia. The husband was the caregiver and the wife had the disease. And he was pretty much at his wit's end uh, and his children who always thought he was overselling what was happening a bit, agreed that they would take care of their mom for a weekend and it completely changed their view of what was going on at home. They came out of that eyes wide open. Um, it was kind of nor not just a visit. So it was more like a, a, a normal day or a normal week. The dad went away, I think maybe even for a week on a, a respite vacation. And when he uh -huh. came home, the kid said, we are so sorry. We always thought that you were overstating what it was like at home. And now we haven't just come by for an afternoon. We've been here for a week and now we see it. And it totally changed their attitude. 
But not every caregiver has access to that where they can bring family in for a, you know, a full week and go away and have them experience what it's like to be a caregiver. I, I now recommend that people use that uh, wonderful record video on their smartphones <laughs> and share those moments with yeah. family members. Um, because that's one of the things we actually did with Mike's dad at one point. Um, I, the doctors weren't seeing what I was seeing. And so I said, what do I need to do? Videotape them. And the doctor said, why, why don't you? And we did. It was a little more complicated then. I had to set up a tripod and everything, but the, the big uh, uh, fifteen-pound camera, yeah, right? Yeah. The, it's but, a trick I like too, especially for for movement problems that come and go. So they're never happening when the person comes to see me. The cell phone can be a powerful tool these days. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about the hallucinations that come with Louis yeah. body? So in Lewy body dementia, one of the things that makes it different uh, from diseases like Alzheimer's disease dementia are the hallucinations and delusions. So a hallucination is when someone typically sees something that isn't really there. There are other types of hallucinations, auditory, where people hear things, tactile, where someone thinks someone's touching them and no one is touching them. But the most common hallucinations are visual. And in Lewy body dementia, they're usually formed objects, so bugs, pets, people. And then a delusion is when someone believes something completely that is not true and absolutely nothing can convince them to the contrary. And there are some delusions that are particularly common in people with Lewy body dementia. So they will think, for example, that a spouse is cheating on them or they will think that someone is stealing from them. Um, or sometimes they're even a little bit more bizarre. They think their caregiver, whether a spouse or a child or some other family member, has been replaced by uh, an identical substitute. And it's not the real one who is there with them at home. And all of these are extremely challenging for family and caregivers. Because in early Lewy body dementia stages, you might be able to help someone understand that these things aren't real or that their brain is kind of playing tricks on them. But in later stages of Lewy body dementia, you, there is absolutely not a single thing that you can say that is going to convince them that this isn't real. And if anything, they're just going to get very angry with you. They're going to think you're not seeing things right, or you just don't know, or you know, you're lying. And so these really don't respond to persuasion most of the time. What I try to tell people now that I know more about it is the brain is a really wonderful storyteller. And if you compare this to a very vivid dream where you woke up terrified, how real that was to you, uh, we are cognitively well enough to understand that that's not real. But when it's the, the dementia brain, yeah. that is the absolute reality. And exactly what you said, I try to teach people, if you try to convince them that's not true, then they're going to suspect you. Yeah. Can you recommend a technique to deal with that? Um, I, I read or I saw on Facebook where somebody did, um, felt exactly what that her husband had been replaced that this wasn't the real husband. And this man was aware enough to say, 
well, I'm going to go find him and I'm going to get him out of here. Um, is that something that you would recommend or is that a reasonable way to deal with something like that? Yeah, I think I found that there isn't one technique that is going to work in every scenario. And so there is some trial and error for any given family and figuring out what's going to work best, at least for now, in this right. scenario. Sometimes early in Lewy body dementia, when things are mild and people still have some insight, you can talk about how it's not really there and they can respond well to that. And that can, in some ways, even be reassuring that, okay, I know this, there really aren't bugs on my floor. But as it goes on, that trying to tell them it's not real will stop working. Uh, they just won't believe you, as you said, it could make them more agitated. And so there are different strategies that people can try. Uh, so one is kind of going along with it, like you said, um, and trying to, to fix the issue, say, well, I'll go find the real one. Distraction is one of the techniques that's recommended, trying to get them to focus on something else. If it's a visual, visually based uh, issue, they're seeing something that's not there. Sometimes there actually really is something there that the brain is misinterpreting. So if someone at night, for example, always thinks there's a person in the room and what it is is a robe on the back of the door, mm. get rid of that robe or uh, have night lights on so that there are more visual cues. Um, sometimes when those delusions are really bad and they center around the caregiver, really the best thing is to get the caregiver out of the situation. Uh, I hopefully for just a short period of time, but sometimes for a longer period. So I've had spouses uh, who were convinced their spouse was cheating on them and very upset and sometimes physically aggressive because they were so upset that their wife of 50 years was cheating on them. And so really the best thing in that scenario was her getting out of the house, her daughters came over, they removed that for a while, he calmed down and then the brain kind of moved on and she could come back. So you can uh, kind of go along with it and then deflect it. You can distract them with other things. So the mind kind of goes on a different path. If there are underlying issues like visual stimuli, curtains, robes, darkness, try to address those. And then sometimes it's, it's a matter of time getting people out of that scenario uh, for hopefully a short period of time and letting the brain kind of reset. Interesting. Very, very interesting, especially aha moment, the robe. <laughs> Who would think? But yeah, you know, it's uh, one of the things that uh, Bobby has presented many times in some of her presentations is, you know, people don't want to get changed because their vision is impaired and they open up the closet and they see all these things. And if you reach in, they start moving and they recoil because with their impaired vision yeah. and the impaired um, intellectual uh, part, that's scary. And so they don't want to go anywhere near the, the closet with the monsters, right? right? Like, the, like the little kid. So very interesting, the bathrobe. That's, uh, that's something I hadn't thought of. So sometimes it is those practical solutions of, okay, then they can't go in the closet with all those confusing clues. So picking out an outfit and laying it on the bed the night before or something exactly. like that. That's exactly of, what Bobby recommends. Yeah, it's a lot of brainstorming. Yeah. Well, I often tell people, you know, 
people have said, asked, would you do it again? And I said, I absolutely would. And I wouldn't make the same mistakes, but I'd make new ones. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's no one way to do it. That's right. And it's constantly learning and it's constantly changing because just when you think you have it figured out, the disease gets worse and you need a whole new technique. Now, as we wrap up um, very quickly, you're a contributor to the um, Neurologist is in blog on the Neurology Now website, correct? I've done a few different, I, I, I write for patients and families and that is one of the places I've done that. Super. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna put, put links on our webpage um, so people can, from the Roger That webpage, get back to you and uh, what, what's going on with you. And uh, Dr. Armstrong, it's been an absolute joy having you on the show. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. And thank you from me as well. Uh, one of the notes that I took down that I hope people really pay attention to is when you're dealing with somebody with dementia and something like Lewy body is make sure that there's no distractions in the room. Um, and, you know, speak directly. I, and I also try to tell people to use uh, smaller words. Um, some of us have very sophisticated vocabularies. Um, that would not be me. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that she clarified for me that I found very interesting, and hopefully our listeners got this, was the memory um, versus memory issues versus thinking issues. And the thinking issues have to deal with the decision-making, whereas the memory is exactly that. They can't remember things from minute to minute, hour to hour, um, day to day. So that really clarified memory versus thinking. And the hallucinations, hearing something, seeing something that's not there, as was the case with my dad, as opposed to delusions, where you absolutely believe something is true. And no matter what, they believe that that is true. So those two clarifications I found very, very valuable to myself. Um, and hopefully our listeners got that also. Again, uh, doctor, thank you so much for being with us today. You can find more information about Dr. Armstrong on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.